The opinions expressed in the following program are those of the producer and not necessarily those of WKTV Community Media. Family-owned Paranormal Pizza underwrites this episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast, located at 901 Gazan Parkway, Southwest Wyoming, and available at 616-531-8300. Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door with a thousand million questions about hate and death and war? Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door? Because the truth is hard to swallow. That's what the wall of love is for. And when you stop and think about it, you won't believe it's true that all the love you've been giving has all been meant for you. But in the gray of the morning, my mind becomes confused between the dead and the sleeping and the road that I must choose. I'm looking for someone to change my life. I'm looking for a miracle in my life. Between the silence of the mountains and the crashing of the sea, to learn as we grow old the secrets of our soul. Brought to you by WKTV. I'm your ghost hunting host, Wayne Preston Curtis Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast. Please keep an open mind about things that you might not easily believe as we explore the mysterious. Everyone is in for an extra special treat for this show. As we did on our previous podcast, we are pleased to welcome three angels of the industry to our show. We have two guest co-hosts for the first time and our featured guest, Kathleen Rydell Tetson, who is a paranormal investigator and award-winning author. But before we get to Kat Tetson, let's check in with my co-host, and I went over this a little bit before we started. I'd like you to answer like who you are, where you're Zooming from, and what is it in your bio that makes you spooky. So Marie, could we start with you? Right off the bat, huh? I am Marie Helena Cisneros, and I am Zooming from Muskegon, Michigan. Uh, what makes me smooky? Spooky. Uh, well, I was a um, UFO hunter for MUFON for 10 years. And I was a columnist for the MUFON Journal. And um, recently, I was um, investigative journalist for the Muskegon Channel doing a show called Paranormal Muskegon. And now I am working on my first paranormal book called Haunted Muskegon. So very I think nice. that qualifies me as being spooky. Yeah, I'd say very nice. And that's really why I, I got a hold of you when I needed a co-host, because you are authoring a book. And we have an award-winning author with us. So I figured you guys okay. are going to have some things in common. And then a light to my path, Mary, Mama Mary. Hi, everyone. I'm Mama Mary. I am a mental medium and psychic channeler. And I do this out of my shop in Hastings, Michigan. And there I do the psychic readings, energy work, cord cutting, and healing. 
Uh, tonight's guest, she has taught me that where light and darkness join, that here, the known merges with the unknown. And this is where the true, the real truth exists. With her three book series, Stepping Into Darkness, The Haunted Travels of Michigan, that she co-authored with her sister, Beverly Rydell, she has left me inspired and ready to delve deeper into the mysterious, the mysteries of the paranormal. Kathleen, how are you? I'm well, and thank you for that, Mary. I, I'm glad to inspire someone. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, I've been writing in the paranormal field since, gosh, um, 2006. Before that, I authored a book that delved in Michigan travel, nothing to do with spooky, uh, even though we got lost in some pretty spooky places during that uh, period of time. But in 2006, the paranormal journey began. And when we started, my sister Bev and I started this very skeptically. And our goal was to dismiss a lot of the things we had seen as, you know, overactive imaginations or just hokum scopum. And after we had our first paranormal event, like many people out there, well, it kind of changed our mind. And that's when we really got into exploring the paranormal. And we began the Haunted Travels of Michigan trilogy, um, which took us all over Michigan. And the three books actually took us 10 years to complete. It's a huge part of my life. Um, as I think most of you know, my sister passed in 2015, but I'm still continuing the paranormal journey, even though darn it, she knows now what we've been doing for so many <laughs> years, and she's not sharing that with me, but I continue. So uh, as far as being spooky, that's what my life has been like since 2006. And I've had some incredible experiences that has convinced me that there's something out there that we can't explain. I thought maybe Beverly has been sharing with you along the way. I know, I have I have tried, you know, I have tried, but my belief is if anybody could come back, it would be her because she was the type of person that if someone said, you know, you really can't do that, she'd say, yeah, watch me and she would do it. So my belief from her passing and my inability to communicate with her tells me they don't always come back. Yeah. I do think that when our time on this earth ends, we make a decision. Are we moving on to the other side? And once we go to the other side completely, I'm not sure if we can come back that easily. I think it's when part of our energy gets captured here for some reason. Um, I don't know. It's paranormal. Yeah, right. Nobody knows. I think we're practicing free will. We were given free will, you know, when yes. we were born. Uh, stepping into darkness. This is one, the book after your series. Yes. The Haunted Travels of Michigan series. This, That's I the love this book. I digested this book. Thank you. Uh, yeah, front to back. And you, Houdini, you bring up Houdini in this book, really? how he had a pack to come oh, back. Absolutely. And he never did. And his wife tried for decades. And there were some fakes, some phonies who came through pretending that he had... Um, they had captured the spirit or returned the spirit of Houdini, but they were debunked and he never did return. Uh, another example of you can't always come back because you want that person to. Uh, he was a fascinating guy though, Houdini. 
Everyone thought he was a great magician escape artist, but he was the greatest debunker of the paranormal. And, um, you know, during that period in American history and world history, there were so many phonies, you know, mediums who weren't medium psychics who weren't psychics, and they had all kinds of gimmickry and, and goofiness that the time of innocence allowed. And a lot of people were hoodwinked and they spent a lot of money. And uh, Houdini was one of the guys that said, I'm going to prove these people as false. And he did most of the time. Interesting man. Right. Yeah. In the beginning, there was a lot of the skepticism. And like you say, a lot of people just wanted to make money. Yes. Right? <laughs> and it was a big farce. It was. Got a bad name for a lot of rep for, I think, like mediums. Yes. One of the people that you talk about in stepping into darkness mm -hmm. is Marion Spore Bush. Uh, yes. And that is leads my my list actually of uh, things that I want to talk about in this book. I don't know how well this is going to show up. It's pretty good for my camp, my laptop. Right now, this painting by Hearst is uh, it's entitled "World of Flame." Right. And then you put the caption on it. You know what does it foretell? Because that's what she did with these paintings. Mm -hmm. What does it foretell? A meteor hitting the world, a major nuclear war, global warming. Mm -hmm. And I tried to answer that question with maybe it's it's being answered right now by by this rendition that I did of her painting. And you can see it's entitled COVID-19, um, which affected the whole world. Maybe unless you lived in Antarctica. You weren't affected but otherwise the whole world is being affected by this yes and the other another painting that you talked about that she did was about new york city mm -hmm. new york city when and can you explain what that painting had on it right that was done i believe in the late 1930s and uh, she had this vision first of all for those who don't know who marion spore was she was a spirit painter uh, at a relatively young age, uh, after her mother passed, um, she began to communicate in spirit with her mother and with her mother were spirits around her. Uh, some of them claimed to be painters. And they asked her if she would allow them to foretell the future of America uh, that they could see. So she began painting these incredible images. And the painting that you mentioned, Wayne, is particularly stunning. Um, and that is in 1938, she painted this thing. And I can't find the picture, but it's, yeah. a, it's an image of uh, a cityscape. And there are two planes headed into the cityscape and the buildings, two of the tallest buildings are aflame. And it's called New York City when? When? And at the time, uh, the people didn't know what she was painting about. They had no idea. Uh, and of course, 9-11, it was the depiction in my mind of that. Exactly. And I've been, I've been looking for that painting since I wrote the story and I've contacted family members, you know, descendants, art galleries in New York and Paris, and they've heard of it, but they can't find it. She yeah. wrote, she painted hundreds of paintings and of all the hundreds of paintings, they only have a handful for like 30 that they found. 
I would yes. have liked to seen that one particular. I Me looked too. for it too, but of course, not the extensive research that you did. Yes. And then Marie does some painting. I don't know if she's inspired with from the other side with your paintings, but you put a lot of colors in your paintings when you do them, Marie. Uh, you like the surrealistic paintings. Um, I do stream of consciousness paintings, but actually I have one behind me that's um, that I finished and I have another one in the works. That is uh, the Magdalene with the smoking candle. And it's um, George de la Tours from the 16th, 16th century or 17th century. But I kind of like to do studies of the old masters. That's kind of what one of my favorite things are or I do a lot of different things. I'm usually all over the place when it comes to uh, mediums and art. I do mixed media and things like that. So, yeah, but, that's why I like you. I never know what you're going to talk about. Well, either. I'm glad you like me. Uh, you're doing <laughs> now. You're writing. You are a co-co-host. <laughs> yeah. Co-host, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mary's kind of like my go-to co-host, <laughs> guest co-host when I have to. She's like, "Can you fill in, Mary?" And so, yeah. okay. But we do uh, cryptic frequencies together too. So, and then Kat, you were on that show. Marie, you've been on that show too, right? Yeah, so, that was fun. We had, we had a good time. Pretty so much the same that. format, yeah. right? Paranormal, spooky stuff. Now, Marie, what is the title of your book that you're writing? Uh, it's called Haunted Muskegon, and it is through History Press, Arcadia Publishing, and uh, should be out sometime 2022 probably around halloween if i miss you, you're done with it now no no um i have a couple more chapters yet to go i'm just still working on getting photographs i was actually doing some research earlier today i've been to three places this week to get some on-site research you know get photographs of real things and um i, I just got on instagram so i'm starting to kind of chronicle my writer's journey you know, places that I go. And I got a picture of me in front of the Corliss engine, which is huge. I'm like, look like a, an ant next to it, which is a, it's a Corliss steam engine that uh, propelled all of the machinery in Muskegon. So it's a fascinating little museum just for the history. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And then Kat, I know a lot of the stuff that you did that you wrote about was historical also. Yes. It wasn't just paranormal. Oh. You looked into the historical. So what was the, the most impressive historical location that you've been to? I mean, there's probably hundreds, right? Yeah, oh, many. You yeah. know, over the, those 10 years, um, it wasn't unusual for my sister Bev and I to travel 10,000 miles just in Michigan. So we have visited so many places. But as far as a historical location, um, Gosh, I can't even think of one. There's several. Well, how about the Whitney, where you the, really started, that started that, your journey? Uh, that is amazing. I still love the Whitney. Uh, yeah, the Whitney was built at the turn of the century, uh, around 1900, by David Whitney Jr., who was one of the Midwest wealthiest businessmen and a lumber baron. And he built the house for his wife, who unfortunately passed shortly after it was built. Um, and it's a fascinating story. I don't want to give too much away in case people want to read the story. But oh, yeah. uh, as you mentioned, Wayne, it's the site of the first experience that I ever had. And it was my investigation of the Whitney that changed my perspective on paranormal not being, you know, 
hogwash. <laughs> so, um, and I, you know, the, I know they have ghost hunts at the Whitney, which are fun. They're meant for entertaining, but based on a one year investigation where we went frequently throughout that one year period of time, the activity at the Whitney occurs between 2.30 and 3.30 in the morning. And that's when it gets crazy. Um, other than that, it's just a wonderful place to go to because it's beautiful, it's historic, and has so much history to it. Now, it's a but, restaurant in Detroit. Yes. Have either of my co-hosts been to Whitney in Detroit, Whitney Restaurant? I, I have. have not. No, uh, I have not. Was it massive? Is it a huge? It's, oh, yeah, it's huge. It is huge. Um, it has Tiffany stained glass. It's Jasper granite on the outside, uh, which gives it kind of a pink hue. Um, let's see, in fact, I think I've got it. I don't know if that's a good, if you can see that or not, but that's the first book and that's a picture of the Whitney. Oh yeah, that's the one I don't have, right? <laughs> anyway. That's the one I don't have. Yes. Anyway, that is uh, the site of the first thing. And we, at between 2.30 and 3.30, we had pianos going off by themselves. Uh, we captured a lot of the EVP. Um, and it was, and again, it blew me away. And I was there and it wasn't a bunch of people there. It was myself and about four other investigators. And uh, so I know when things happened, it wasn't, you know, when you go on a public ghost hunt, it's wonderful, it's fun. You can capture valid paranormal evidence, but you always have to question it. But when there's four people in this very large place, it's, and you know where they are, you know, when you hear the piano going off and you record it, uh, what's going on. So that was very historical, good point. Um, I think a book in our, uh, a location in our second book called The Holly Demon, which is in Holly, Michigan, is probably my favorite case. Um, not necessarily because it was a demon, but because it took us months of historical research to find out what happened. And we were able to connect this poor woman who was dealing with what she thought was a demonic situation, um, connect what happened in her life to something that had happened over 120 years ago. And the connection between where she lived and where she worked and what happened in this story that happened 120 years ago blew me away. To find that connection, to find out the land she was living on was connected to some rather tragic event, um, put it all together. Uh, right, that's where you experience a deliverance. Yes, ministry. yes, yeah. And then I, I looked up, I went to the glossary and looked up deliverance and it said exorcism, see exorcism. Yes, a deliver a, a exorcism is done by a Roman Catholic priest that's certified. Uh, deliverance can be done by um, a minister, a Protestant, or Lutheran, uh, or demonologist. And generally, a deliverance is also indicating the level of possession. Um, it's not full possession. So what I saw wasn't necessarily a full possession, uh, but I I will say it was life changing for me to see that too. And yeah, I have under deliverance, and I've done some of this with a minister that I've worked with. Okay. I was. I'm not going to anymore, but I have done it. But deliverance, oppressing demonic presence, it yes. can come from witchcraft, curses, or spells, or evil spirits. But these spells could be generations before you, 
yes. and they're still affecting your family. And that's kind of what you described, uh, what was going on. And you, you had EVP that showed up miles away from a yes. question that was yes. asked. Yes. yes. I mean, you know, part of uh, to cleanse your soul from possession, the, um, the individual who is oppressed needs to speak the name of the demon supposedly that has taken over their body, their soul. And this woman, Mary, Mary Lynn, uh, at the end of the deliverance called out this bizarre name, which um, was repeated in an EVP session seven miles away. You know, that was recorded at a shop that she worked. At the very moment she was speaking the name supposedly of the demon, that same voice, that name was recorded seven miles away. Isn't that that's pretty incredible. Yes. Yeah. And that was, yeah, that was the story that was taken by a sci-fi paranormal witness and they produced it on their show. Um, but they, they changed it. You know, the producers have that liberty of changing it to fit um, who they think their audience is. So yeah, they did change that up a bit, but it was an incredible story. Uh, and the history took us months to do. Months. Yeah. Yeah. I was on one case that took a year from a 10 year old that was, they thought she was messed up. They had her on medications. And then when the first time I played a recording for her mother, her mother got to hear the ghost. Mm -hmm. Her mother decided, well, maybe she was her daughter, 10 year old daughter wasn't as messed up as what they, the doctor has been telling her. Right. Well, so that was just an awakening for them. But we kind of took that to the point where there just wasn't any more we could do unless they got somebody in there to do like an exorcism or someone someone that knew more about it than what we did. Yeah, you need to put it in someone's hands that knows. Um, I know you brought. Yeah, ahead. you brought up uh, prayers um, that you you use prayers sometimes for protection. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. You do that um, every time you go on a case. Um, I'm not going to say we do it every time, but I have done it when we're in a case that is particularly troublesome. You know, I, I find the most compelling cases are dealing with residential people, you know, people in homes, and they're the ones that seem to be the most troubled. And when you can help them, that is often more um, positive than going to a haunted restaurant, even though people love that. And I'm all about that too. But if you go to a residence and these people are terrified and you can calm them and identify um, the cause of the problem and solve it, it's so gratifying. And we did that in Stepping Into Darkness. And I think it's called The Last Goodbye. But that was one of the residential cases that we did, my sister and I did together. And um, it was amazing. You know, we figured it out. Um, and it was the woman's son who was trying to communicate with her. Her son had passed. And she it was a tragic ending. I'm not going to get into the details, but she couldn't she couldn't resolve herself to his passing. And so after a considerable amount of time investigating and other things, um, he came through on an EVP and it was his voice. Yeah. And uh, it, it was life changing for her, and that made us feel great. You know, it made us feel great. Mama Mary, you've done some investigating, and you've been in some of these situations. Do you also use uh, protection prayers or any other sort of protection? I typically do. Anytime, even first thing in the morning, every morning I get up and I meditate. That's 
pretty much the first thing I do is I call upon Archangel Michael for protection for me throughout the day, for my family, just being surrounded in white light. It's just, it's just become a habit, I guess. Because mm -hmm. even if it's not paranormal, we, we all need protection through other people's energy throughout the day because other people, their vibrations aren't the same as ours. Right. So really it's, it's all about vibration versus, you know, not necessarily more than paranormal, but in general, anywhere you go, it's all about the vibration and the energy you're going to connect with. Yeah. yeah. I think intent comes into play. What's your, your intent is you, if you have good intentions to begin with, that helps and yes. a good positive attitude going in yes. and, and hopefully you're leading that type of life where you're, <laughs> you're not messing around with things that are letting things control your life that you are in control when you go into these situations. Yeah. I, uh, my wife got me this, the full armor of God. And then this is, uh, this is kind of what I go by. And then I like to wheel, I like to wheel the sword myself, the word I like, and I do that with St. Francis and oh, I'm yeah. asking to be, you know, a conduit for peace to bring peace to those people. You talked about the Whitney, those things are happening at 2.30 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning. Yes. To me, that indicates residual that happens in a cycle. But do you think that was residual haunting or was that an intelligent haunting? I think some portions of it were residual, but we received communication to questions. Oh, um, so, right. Was, you know, um, and that's fact, what separates it right there. Yeah. In fact, we went into... Um, it, I don't know, 245, something like that, into a back room, and we saw a torn portrait of Mr. Whitney kind of stuck to the wall in this little kitchen that's on the second floor. And at that moment, the piano went off. And we started finding out that the piano going off was connected to Mr. Whitney and to his daughter, Grace. And um, it wasn't I don't a player piano, was it? It was not. No, it was no. not. And Come we on. found out the, the keys and the, what key. And it was a long extended note. And we found out on that piano, you had to press the key and hold it down to give it a long sound. So uh, whatever did that, um, it pressed the key and held it down until it slowly faded away. That they, It happened several times. So. Yeah. Did that give you chills? It did. The first I was watching, the, you know, how you watch videos after um, an investigation oh, yeah. and it's been hours and, you know, nothing is nothing, nothing, nothing. And it's getting kind of late at night and I'm tired. And all of a sudden I hear the piano sound on the video. And I think, no, you know, that can't be right. So I rewound it a few times and wow, it's like, yes, that's really bizarre. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yes, that was powerful what's nice about your books at least the uh, haunted traveling of michigan series is that you make it interactive yes yeah yeah we have a website that is connected to the haunted travels of michigan books and you can go into the website there's passwords that get you into the stories video and audio so you can see some of what happened during the investigation and hear the on the evps you know i think that's really important when you're doing an investigation and talking about it you don't just say oh i got this evp <laughs> you know you you show the people let them listen to it and they can ultimately decide for themselves so right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then do you now Marie is in Muskegon. Right. Do you have have you been to Muskegon? Any 
locations around Muskegon? That maybe oh my gosh, I know I've been to Muskegon, but you know, like I said, it, we've traveled so much. I can't, we, I know this, we don't have any Muskegon in our book, oh. which means when we investigated, which I'm sure we did, we didn't record anything. Um, of course, that doesn't mean the location wasn't haunted. We just didn't capture anything. So uh, we found of the, I don't know, hundreds of inv investigations, um, about maybe five to 10% we recorded paranormal activity. Bev and I were very, very objective and I still am. I'm super objective about evidence. So we threw out a lot of stuff and we were also there to disprove so when we had people saying, oh, this happened and that happened, we really did aggressively go in and, and uh, attempt to find logical explanations, which we did in many cases, uh, but not all. <laughs> right. And you weren't afraid to say so. If you didn't get anything, you just put it right in there, there you know. Yes. Came right out and said it, no ghost activity at this time. Absolutely. And I you know, a lot of times the owners want you to find paranormal activity because it's good business. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they weren't always pleased that we didn't find anything. And there's yeah. an airplane overhead. So oh, is I that what that is? Again. It's and, my heart beating. No, it's yeah. so. Um, yeah. Actually, residential cases, too. They, they want to know that they're not crazy. Yeah. So they, yeah. they're looking for that, too. Now, I don't know if you can see some of these locations that you've been to, the remote locations in the UP oh, and yeah. then way down south. Now, these are just a very few, but you right. went 10,000 miles per year. Yes, on um, average. Yep. Right. Yes. And so it wasn't all over. We just didn't travel in Michigan, 10,000 in Michigan, but Bev and I also traveled across the U.S. And, you know, we hit um, West Virginia, we hit Gettysburg, we hit. Tennessee, um, uh, Myrtle's Plantation, Louisiana, North Carolina. So we did travel around the state doing other investigations, but our books, you know, they're focused in Michigan. So yeah, lots, lots of time, a lot of time. And then Mackinac Island. Oh yeah. Was one of the places that you went to. And then the lost boy of Mackinac, is that the title? That was the one in the new book, right? Uh, the third book in the Haunted Travels of Michigan series, about one third of that book is devoted to Mackinac Island. And in the new book, Stepping into Darkness, one of the stories deals with uh, another investigation on Mackinac. That was the last boy, uh, the lost boy. Um, that was fascinating. It's not far from uh, Arch Rock where that occurred. And Arch Rock has tremendous Native American folklore attached to it. And, and based on all the investigations we did on the island, I can tell you that Arch Rock seems to have energy around it. You know, there's no question. Uh, EMFs don't always go off, but um, they frequently go off for questioning. And the Lost Boy was uh, kind of a compelling, sad story about a young boy spirit who was looking for his parents. His parents had died and so did he. And he couldn't transition. I think he, he got stuck, however that might've happened. Um, but that was a very powerful thing. We have the video of it on our website, the whole transitioning thing. Um, and a lot of us were kind of in tears at the end, but we think we were able to transition him um, to the other side. The ultimate goal, really, of yes, a ghost hunter. Yes. 
Absolutely. And it, you started one year and you had some evidence and then you came back the following year and you built on what you had discovered that the previous year. Yes. Now, yes. Mary, you've been to the island, what, several times? Did, did you get any spooky feelings around the arch rock? Well, the only spooky feelings I got were my kids because <laughs> I was on a family vacation. <laughs> so I didn't get the joy of actually going there to do a paranormal investigation. That's kind of, we, we did go by the, the rocks, but um, it was more just a sightseeing thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, I haven't been there as a paranormal investigator. I did do my honeymoon there like 30 some years ago. Oh. I, I talked to Todd Clements. Yeah, He's the one that, run, okay, Marie's back. Mm -hmm. I talked yeah. to Todd Clements and see uh, when's the best time to go. If, mm -hmm. And he said in the fall. So I may do that. Uh, this year go up there and then not as my, busy not my, as yeah my wife's not really keen on the idea that I'm going to go there and look for ghosts necessarily well but, you know here's the thing with the island when you go um, you know they always look at buildings oh this our mission point is so haunted and um, the Straits Lodge does have paranormal activity I'm not going to say it doesn't <laughs> but you can literally go in the back trails of Mackinac and record stuff we got French Canadian EVPs on one of the back trails on the island and it was a man and a woman talking so I mean, I'm sorry were they talking in French uh we oh jeez <laughs> Mo, we, they were talking in French Canadian. I okay. have a, a friend and a, a guy in the paranormal community who's French Canadian, and he, I, I didn't understand it. I heard um, Mademoiselle, and I, I knew, okay, this is, this is not American. Right. So he listened to the EVP, and he found out that it sounded like uh, um, a man, a man was there, and he saw this woman that he knew, and he was saying, "You are so beautiful." And you hear her respond. And I don't remember the exact words, but he translated that for us. Um, so Brad Blair is a cool guy. He's the guy who, who did that for me. And yeah, so you can go on a back trail. Um, the Lost Boy is on a back road. There is a, when we went to Arch Rock, we were actually trying to find the site of where this student possibly killed himself back in the 60s. They had a school on the island, Mackinac College, which didn't last very long. It didn't, no, the kids didn't like it, and it wasn't well attended, but um, there was a student who supposedly killed himself, though rumor has that he may have been murdered. He was killed, shot with a shotgun. So we were trying to find the location, and he's kind of in, we believe his body was discovered near or in and about the Arch Rock area. So we were in search of this student, and that's when we came across the lost boy. Not who we thought it would be. Yeah. Um, and not only like French Canadian that you talked about, but a lot of Native American Indians oh, yes. because they used the island as a burial ground. Yes. And then now they've built houses over these. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, they go to, they're digging up bones as they're uh, doing yes. construction. That's not unusual on yeah. Mackinac Island. Marie, have you, Marie have you been to Mackinac Island? No, I have not. Sounds like a great place to visit. 
It is. Ghosts. <laughs> if you have a sense, um, you should definitely go. There's a place on Mackinac. My favorite location is actually Fort Holmes, which is located at the highest part of the island. Mm -hmm. And we did record Native American EVPs up there and um, a lot of energy. You know, and there was a tragedy up at Fort Holmes back, gosh, I can't remember the year, but I think it was like 1917, that era, when a man, a newlyweds went to the island and they used to have this big tower overlook, you get to Holmes and you'd walk up on this tower and overlook all of Mackinac Island. So the newlyweds, the husband went up, the wife went up, but in those days she, she wore long skirts. So coming down, she tripped and fell to her death. So uh, we did record an EVP there, which I think is related to that tragedy on the island. But lots of energy. If you're psychic, oh my uh, medium rather, um, go there. You'll feel the, the layers coming at you. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's the limestone bluffs that can absorb yes. that residual energy or the water that's all around the island that can create yes. that energy that spirits can use. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. No, we don't have the castles that they have in Europe. We don't have the feel that they have in New Orleans, but no. we do have a lot of Native American and what unfortunately entire tribes are massacred. Yes. And that can be, leave a lot of reason for uh, them to come back or to hang out. Uh, and that's the worst kind that yes. is that, re <laughs> that revenge kind of thing that they want. That's the worst kind they have. Oh, yeah. Your unfinished business, hopefully, is with some kind of loved one that can be resolved, and then you can you can move on in your journey. Yes. On that note, if I may interject here a little bit, um, I did recently just find out uh, found out in uh, doing research on the area that I live on, which is uh, um, there is a Pinchtown Lake Lakeside, and um, used to be called Port Sherman, and um, I did find out that at one time, Port Sherman had about 400, 500 um, inhabitants of the, the Ottawa tribe. And all of that was, um, a lot of it was dug up. They said they went in and they dug up, people would find arrowheads and things like that. But of course, you know, that has been, you know, residential area now. Now that might be an interesting place for investigators, yeah. you know, and I don't know if the people that live there now have any activity I wonder. On, that's right. a good, good point. Mm -hmm. Good point, indeed. Yeah, Grand Rapids has areas like that where they put the highway through, and these were known to be uh, burial grounds for Native Americans, and now they put their highway through there. That's that's got to cause problems. Oh yeah. Cat, you talked about the Salk Indians nice. in your book, and this tribe was that's one of them that was massacred. Yes. I don't know if that's what you relate in your book or not, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that that was an I believe it was the nation of six, you know, the Indian Native American tribes from New York and um, surrounding Midwestern states converged on Mackinac Island because the Sauk were um, a, a warring tribe, you know, they tended to be more violent. And so the, the nation of Indians came together to see what they could do, and they decided to genocide, I mean, kill them all. So they came down and you're right, um, in canoes from Mackinac and they cleaned it out, um, man, woman, child, and there were some that escaped. And the rumor 
uh, was that the sock that remained were in the woods and waiting to kill Native American people as revenge. Um, Native Americans believe that might have been haunted or maybe they were real sock Indians. Socks were very interesting the way they dressed. Even their hair was different. Oh, their hair. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. They kind of had the mohawk, some of them. Big and... punk thing. Up, yeah. Here, right. Yeah. They had some cool hair. Yeah. And then so, I think they dyed it too on, on occasion. Did they dye it too? I uh, think they did. No. I don't know. I wasn't around, but. No, I'm, no, I was just a baby myself. Back. I've seen some yeah. renditions. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, one, they that's yeah. one thing our state has going for it because, you know, there isn't a treaty that we made with the Native American Indians that we ever kept. And they only made the treaties so they could steal their property from them. Yes. That's the only reason they made those treaties. There wasn't anything good in it for the Native American Indians. Right. Right. How about now, you, did you include, I thought you included maybe some lighthouses? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, not, not in the stepping into darkness, but um, gosh, I have investigated countless lighthouses in Michigan, and I love them. Uh, Big Bay Point Lighthouse was very cool. Unfortunately, um, Szechua Point, of all the lighthouses, Szechua Point was the one that was most compelling for me. Oh. And um, that's in the UP. We got something crazy there. I don't want to give out too much information, but a lot of EVPs, and well, I can share this one story. Probably the most tragic story of Szechua, and people call it soul something, but it's actually French and it's spelled, it's pronounced Szechua. Um, there was a, a lighthouse keeper and his mother-in-law lived with them. And she had unfortunately gotten um, cancer. And she was at their lighthouse recovering. Uh, her daughter, of course, was taking care of her. And as happens in the Upper Peninsula on Lake Michigan and Superior, there was a terrible gale, a terrible, terrible storm. And it happened right at the time that the mother-in-law was in delirium. She was near her, the end of her life from this diagnosis uh, from her disease. And um, the winds are so bad, it breaks in the windows of the lighthouse. Snow is coming in. The men are trying to shore that up. Meanwhile, the daughters with her mother trying to calm her down. And she passes right in the middle of this horrible storm. And there was so much snow and ice, they couldn't bring her to the mainland to you know, take care of her remains. So they put her in this back room that was freezing. And she was kept there until they could eventually bring someone um, to take the remains and do a proper burial. Well, I did not know this story at the time I went there, but we recorded in the back room where her body was intelligent responses to questions that tell us it was the mother. She was terrified. And I asked her how she died. And she said, in the snow. And she was afraid. And um, that was one of the most compelling communications I've had. One of them, not the only one, but one of them. Anybody else got a story on lighthouses? Because there's so many of them. We have there's more lighthouses so than any other state, and several of them do have reputations. I'm afraid that most of these are residual because 
the lighthouse keepers doing their job for all these years. It's a routine over and over. Yes. And so they just keep doing their job, even though they're dead. <laughs> it could be. But, but like well, you say, there are intelligent responses to some of these questions, yes. too, yes. sometimes. And, and I, like I said, I've probably been to a dozen or more lighthouses. And I loved the investigations. They were very cool. But I never really recorded anything that was noteworthy or ne never experienced anything. Yeah. And when we do an investigation, it's not just one time, you know, in and gone. We usually spent a few days at the location doing several investigations. So unfortunately, I never, I don't think we ever recorded anything worth, you know, putting in but Seshwa. It's not like you see on TV where they've taken hours and compressed it into what looks like you just walked in and found something. Uh, you know, well, TV <laughs> is entertainment. I learned this. I learned this. I learned this. TV is entertaining. Yeah. Um, you know, I know some of the investigators that are, you know, the TV stars now, and they're wonderful people, but you can't you can't do a real investigation on TV. People would be bored to death. For those of us that investigate, you know what it's that, like. That's the way it really happens, right? So boring, you know. Marie, did you have something to interject on the? I did. Well, you you ask if I've I've been to a lighthouse, and I have not. But they have recently opened up a lighthouse in Muskegon and Pier Marquette mm -hmm. uh, for visitors. So that might be something great to do. Is Go and check it out. I'd love to see that. Yeah, right person, right place, that. right time. Yeah. I mean, it can be boring, but if you happen to be there. I love lighthouses. I'm never bored. Even if we get no evidence, I love lighthouses. Uh, like you say, they're historical too. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Lighthouses, they're, yeah, they're just, they're just beautiful. And if you think about, you know, all that history yeah. of in time imprinted before any real property was there. It's really amazing. I think um, I took, I took my daughter to the one that's up in Bay Mills, up in um, the UP. And I don't remember the exact um, name of the lighthouse, but I do remember um, getting a weird feeling. I didn't really know anything about it. We were mm -hmm. just kind of touring and she went up to the tower and I, I snapped a bunch of pictures. And then later when I looked at the pictures, it literally looks like this kind of green creature <laughs> on top of her head. Oh, wow. It's really, oh, it's really wow. weird. She's with my grandma. And I, I had someone else look at it and they're like, well, it kind of looks like a wrist with like a bracelet on it, but I just can't unsee, like I see the face. I see the face, yes. the long face, the eyes, the mouth and the hand on top of her head. And wow. then when I started researching, it was probably actually almost, I would say six months later, I started researching haunted places in Michigan. And that actually that lighthouse was one of the places that was on the list of a, a negative entity. I still uh -oh. have the picture, but all right, all I, right. for me, I, how do you debunk it? I, I see one thing because that's what my eyes saw the first time and everybody else who has seen other than one person has said the same thing, but who's to say for sure, because they could have just perceived it the way I perceived it because I said it. So no. right. not okay. real proof, but that's my experience. Yeah, and we have so many, like I say, no other state has as many as we do. Oh, no. There, there is something that's, that's spooky that's related to that because these sailors depended on that in their lives. 
And then some of the people that went down, maybe the last thing that they saw was that light that if they could have only got to that point. Absolutely. And you know, the lighthouse keeper's life was so hard. I mean, he was there uh, sometimes with his wife, but you know, sometimes just him and an assistant keeper, lonely, lonely. And they were desolate. They so far away, they and they had to do their job. They had to keep that light going on and in the worst of storms. So it was a hard life. So we touched on maybe what some of the historical places that you've been to, but what is the biggest myth? I know that you're in search of the truth. You said so in your book. And there's a lot of uh, authors out there that are really, they don't wanna just repeat the stories that have been repeated through generations. They wanna dig in and find the truth. Um, two of the people that I, well, Todd Clements is one mm-hmm. and, and two others are the Duchesnes. Oh uh, yes, yes. Nicole Bray, mm-hmm. before she married uh, the Reverend Robert Duchesne. Yes. They're kind of myth busters. So what's the yeah. biggest BS you've ran into? Oh my gosh, there have been quite a few. Oh no. <laughs> no, there oh. have, oh, there have been. I mean, I've gone to bed and breakfast and found out that they were putting speakers in the wall to have, you know. Oh EVs. no. Oh yeah. Uh, the biggest myth, boy, I don't know. I, I'm gonna have to think about that. Okay. I, I mean, well, we, I'm gonna pose that to my co-host then let, let you think about it in a minute because mm-hmm. now Marie, you've been, you were MUFON for what, 16 years or something? How many years? 11 years. 11 years. So you may have ran into some hoaxes there. What's the biggest BS that you ran into in the industry? Uh, well, and most of the time it was photographic evidence where they send you, yes. you know, photographs of, you know, UFOs. And it's not only that you have to tell them that it's fake, you have to tell them, you know, oh. how you know it's fake and you have to prove it, it's fake, even though your BS meter goes off right away. Yeah, that's what you talked about when you were on the show was your BS meter. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, you know, and if a story doesn't have the ring of truth and when it comes to, you know, paranormal uh, investigations very similar to UFOs and, and those type of encounters is a lot of times it's just the he said, she said, you know, the only thing that you have to go on is just their story. So you have to figure out how credible that person is to whether they're telling you a true account or not. But most of the time it was, you know, photographic evidence that, you know, they would try to say, yeah, the one was a huge, huge UFO, you know, in the back. And it would have had to have been the mothership. (laughs) So, you know, if you look at it, yeah, that's a wonderful, you know, photograph, but it's fake. Right. Eyewitness accounts, the eyewitness accounts, even in murder cases, is the most unreliable evidence that they that they have. Now, Mama Mary, anyone been trying to uh, set your meter off, your BS meter? The only thing I've really experienced is not so much the BS meter, but trying to debunk things. So when when you're hearing noises, trying to find a reason for that noise. Yes. first before you just assume it's something paranormal or spiritual trying to figure out what could be another reason because everybody especially if um they're more into the paranormal they like to be spooked so yeah. they're going to think about the last tv tv show that they watched and you know pick a, an experience out from that and associate it with what's going on with them 
Yes. Right. Yeah, Kids are more bad. impressionable too. If you oh, live yeah. in an old house, it's going to make noises. Yes. It's not yeah. all paranormal, that's for sure. Well, you know, you, uh, you brought up a good point, Mary. There's a lot of people that I have called us in on a case and uh, they show us the photographs and you know that it's not anything significant, but they won't believe it. You know, you try and explain what caused this. It's usually light flares and dust moving through the picture or pareidolia, which means, you know, you see an image somewhere, but it's just reflection of something and you can't convince them. And I, I it used to be a point of real frustration for me, but I, if you can't convince them, I've learned to just let it go. You know, some people just want to believe you just let them. I mean, that's, if it's that important to them, let them. <laughs> I've been reading, I've been reading about that pareidolia Pareidolia. Pareidolia. It can yeah. be almost like a mental illness. No, it's not actually. It's a very natural state of the mind. Um, it, the mind wants to see images um, in random shapes and um, colors, anything. It, it, the mind will logically want to try and find something familiar in a random assortment of colors right. or shapes. we always like, call it matrixing well matrixing is another term it's like looking in the sky and that cloud by golly that looks yeah. like a bunny rabbit well it's not a bunny rabbit and right. that is a gross misconception you know you see faces in a window and that's a we've debunked that it's a tree reflecting and we show them we take the picture and we show them the reflection and the tree and it's like, no, it's still a face. Which brings me to Bowers Harbor Inn in uh, the Traverse City area. That was the greatest debunk. Okay. That was the greatest debunk ever. The story back in the day was there was a woman who was, um, her and her husband lived in the home and she ended up, um, what was the deal? Oh yeah, yeah, she ended up gaining this huge amount of weight and um what he died or she died i can't remember anyway she died um oh no okay he, the husband died that was the deal and the wife was so distraught because he gave everything to the nurse you know he was having an affair with his nurse he gave everything to the nurse and the only thing the wife got was the house at bowers harbor inn but all of his wealth, and he was a wealthy man, went to this nurse. And she went out and she hung herself in the elevator. That's the story, that's the haunting. But what we found out, we, we actually got a hold of the nurse who was still alive. And we found out that was all nonsense, you know, that um, the wife actually died before the husband and that the husband um, never had an affair with the nurse because he was like very sick in a wheelchair. And the nurse was in her 30s. So the real part is when he died, because he had no living family, he did give everything to the nurse. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so, you know, the whole story was dramatic and overdone and um, not true. Where's that geographically? Um, near Traverse Flowers Harbor is in Traverse City in the, one of the peninsulas, I think, Leland all Yeah, yeah I'm familiar it. with that story. I, I must have read it in your book, or I read it yes. in another book, because I read so many of these books, winning for Marie's book to get here, so I can get a signed copy that's, of that. That's soon. That's October. That's right, yes, it's soon. 
October is the perfect time to release a book on hauntings. Oh, yeah, right. And I think that was the the thing. That's what they were going for. But uh, my deadline is February of uh, 2022 to get it done. So, wow, they really wanted my when I was doing ours, the publisher always wanted it by July uh, of the year that it's going to be released. It took them from July through September to do all the editing. And isn't Mm. the editing fun? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I'm already oh, working. Oh, it's <laughs> tedious. Um, and you know, when you do the bibliography, oh, the big. Oh my gosh, putting that all together. Um, but yeah, I'm, I don't. I'm not familiar with MLA because I, I never used MLA. I used, I worked in the hospital, so it is a little different. Yeah. So I'm doing a bibliography from a different system, so I'm working through that. I I'm doing it as I go, so I don't have to work through all of that editing stuff you know at the end so yeah it's a process it is a process indeed Indeed. it's work (laughs) well yeah i thought i was retired (laughs) yeah i don't know if i'm ever going to be part of a forum that has so much insight to offer in different areas so i'm going to propose this question what do you think happens after we kick the bucket what happens after we dead that is a good question. I want, every, I want everybody to weigh in on this one. This isn't my final thought, but it's like a final thought. So everybody, because of who's on this show, yeah, everybody everybody has their own perspective, their own insights uh, into this. Yeah, they do. Who do you want to go first? Anybody that's ready. All I, was right. gonna, I, don't, I don't usually make it a free-for-all, but anybody who's ready. <laughs> um, you want to go first, Marie, or? Oh, okay. So you're, you're asked the question, what happens after we die? Yeah. Well, ultimately nobody really knows. Cause you know, <laughs> we're not that, but you know, my only, my own personal perspective and belief is that I'm a reincarnationist. So um, I think okay. that when you cross over, you do come back and that we live many, 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 many lives, but of course not all of us get to cross over. And some do get stuck or get the attachments as what we are, are finding with and people investigating that. So uh, spirituality, I, you know, I believe that the soul survives death, that we are souls that inhabit uh, human bodies that are having an experience on this material plane called Earth. So that's kind of like the basic thing where I'm at. Okay, good. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm like Maria, I've not, I haven't died, <laughs> but I have, I have interviewed a few people who had near death experiences. There you go. Um, and I know what they've told me. And I think a lot of times we go through a transition after we die. I, I have talked to physicians too, who have seen um, people who have passed on and, and have come back. And what those collective interviews have suggested is that at least for a few moments after our body is dead and our brain waves have stopped, we are still conscious. We are our consciousness, which may not be attached to the body because science isn't sure where consciousness exists. They don't know if it's the outside of the body or in our brain, but there is a certain level of consciousness that exists and remains. I think after that, we move on. And we either move on to the next existence, which could be reincarnation, 
or it could be to something that we refer to as heaven or a better place. But it takes time. It's not an instant transition. I think there's a period of time for our soul, our spirit, our consciousness to uh, transition between physical body and spiritual. Uh, and you, know, I you talk about the near-death experiences, and a lot of them say they met up with their relatives, you know, mm -hmm. and they went to a better place. That's what a lot wow. of them say. Not Mary, all. Not right? all. <laughs> Mary, you may have the best, be in the best position to have insights on this. Well, I've done a lot of meditation. I've done a lot of research, a lot of communication with spirit. So what I've been shown is we're all energy. These are just vessels. We are literally souls and energy. It doesn't matter once this vessel gives out, we just change the form of energy. So what happens when we cross over is we leave our body and we, our loved ones meet us and they cross us over. And then, so what happens, we go to the astral and we have to take on another form of energy. So it's called causal energy is a different kind of vehicle mm -hmm. and so at that stage you could call it purgatory or whatever you like you go through your whole life because we're literally spiritual beings having a human experience not humans having a spiritual experience at all we are there to make mistakes to screw up so that we can raise our vibration raise the vibration of the collective whole and move to the next level that's the whole point that's why we reincarnate so we, we spend our time in the causal level on the astral. That's why a lot of psychic mediums for probably when a person crosses over a psychic medium can probably connect with them for about 50 years because their time's different than ours. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just a different way of seeing it before they move up to another level. They deal with everything they learned, everything they've done to other people, what other people have done to them as spiritual energy, pure spiritual energy. Once they go through that process, they move to the emotional level. They take on a different vehicle in the astral plane. And so as they go through the emotional part of it, of what feels, that's what raises their vibration. And it's sort of like, okay, I've got all this information now in a folder. I'm gonna take it to my higher self, present okay. it to your higher self and decide, okay, did I raise my vibration enough to completely ascend and not come back ever again? Or do I come back to learn enough more lessons so I can continue raising my vibration? Because heaven's there, it's just a different dimension, a different plane, a different level. So the more you raise your vibration, the higher you get up to that ascension. It's all about ascension, all about what COVID is and what we're going through right now and the beginning of stages of you know, the age of Aquarius, it's all about ascension. Interesting. I'm, I have Sorry. to make this the final Long thought because we're really out of time. But, you know, the Bible tells tells me that our bodies go back to the ground, dust to dust, and our spirit goes back to where it came from. Yes. And that's a, a heavenly uh, existence. That's what the Bible tells me. Although I know you're supposed to die and either go one somewhere, but it doesn't always happen that way. We all know that it doesn't always happen that way, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So I have to move right into the very end of the show. I'm going to skip over shout outs and upcoming. And my final thought was going to be, you know, what's on our bucket list? And is that kind of unfinished business if we make a bucket list? But we don't have time for that. I'm going right to the inspirational thought in the end of the show. And my inspirational thought comes from Irving T. Bush. Yes. From Kat's book. 
from uh, who was the husband of Marion Sporbush. He writes, but this I know, beyond this strife, there is no pain. Somewhere the flowers bloom again. Death is not death, it's life. So that's, that's the show. Thanks a lot. I'm Zooming from Wyoming. Kat, where are you Zooming from? Uh, my home, Macomb Township, Michigan. Marie, Zooming from Muskegon? Yep, correct. Zooming out from Muskegon. Mary, Mama Mary, Zooming from Hastings? The trying to cross the Golden Vale. <laughs> oh, that's where you're Zooming from. That's right. He's Zooming farther than anybody. <laughs> He's coming from the other side. Well, three angels, bless me again on this show. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I'm going to come up with three angels again, but thanks so much. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for having me. It was fun. A lot of fun. Peace out. Peace out. Bye. 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 Family-owned Palermo Pizza underwrites this episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast. Located at 901 Gazan Parkway, Southwest Wyoming, and available at 616-531-8300. The opinions expressed in the preceding program are those of the producer and not necessarily those of WKTV Community Media.